this is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? All right, thanks for joining me today. We have a super special show. I've got, uh, I have two guests. I can't wait to introduce them to you. And today we're talking about things that are going on, like the coronavirus, Italy, and the implosion of what of things going on inside the Catholic Church. Things that are called good are called evil. What's called evil is called good. There are people out in this country and around the world who are trying to restore Mother Church, and it comes with such resistance. And with that, I'd like to introduce my uh, two of my guests. One, Michael Voris. Uh, Michael is the founder and president of St. Michael's Media, also known as Church Militant. Michael, you can tell us more about that. My other guest today is James Burkon, and James uh, has a master's in theology from Franciscan University. Gentlemen, welcome to What If We've Been Wrong. Michael, give us more of your background and uh, and what what are your goals with St. Michael's Media? And also, I had I had forgotten to write it down. Your theology degree, uh, what you have that in? Give us a little bit of background about your uh, your outreach. Uh, sure. Well, I was. Uh, uh, we started St. Michael's Media in two thousand, very late two thousand five. Really, sort of a the the idea, the genesis of it. But it was really in response to uh, that spring and summer, and even into the fall. Uh, that was the big push of the uh, uh, the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. It was the movie with Tom Hanks, the book, and. At the time, the job I had, I was traveling around a lot, uh, a lot, uh, air travel, and every single person I saw had a copy of Dan Brown, Angels and Demons, I'm sorry, uh, Da Vinci Code, Da Vinci Code, and, you know, just as a recap for people who may not remember that or were unfamiliar with it because it was so long ago, uh, you know, it, it said that our lady, uh, that our Lord was having an affair uh, and then eventually married Mary Magdalene, had a child of their own, and then that little child was given the chalice that our Lord used at the uh, uh, Last Supper. And anyway, it was just a whole big, a, a heretical hooey, the whole bit, but people were sucking it up left and right. And I had come back to the faith about a year and a half-ish, roughly before that. And I was, I'm Irish, and I was spitting mad uh, about, you know, here I am come back to this faith, you know, restored to the, the faith of my childhood and, you know, with a whole different set, you know, appreciation and everything for it, a love for it. And, um, and then I just saw this as like a personal insult, you know, to God. And uh, so I said to my dad, dad, I need to do something about this. My mother had died about a year and a half earlier. That was actually the, my, the end of my reversion back to the faith and beginning of my, uh, uh, newfound love of the faith. And uh, I'd said to my dad, I need to do something, dad, I need to do something. You know, the, the, this is horrible. This Da Vinci Code stuff is horrible. I want to do something for the church. I don't know what to do. So 
my background has been in uh, television news uh, as a reporter, producer, anchor, all of that for really my entire professional life, last almost 40 years. And uh, I... Uh, I said, oh, I'll do it. I'll make a documentary and, you know, sort of rip apart the myths of the Da Vinci Code. And I never did produce that because <laughs> I said I tried. I sat down. I tried to write it. And for the very first time in my life, I sat in front of a keyboard and I could hit nothing because I couldn't logically arrange the thought. How do you say this is wrong without sort of simultaneously saying what's right? And the what's right is built on suppositions that your reader or your audience already knows or you think they know, but then you've got to build it up for them. And you just keep going backwards like that. And I just called my dad and I said, Dad, I can't do this. There's nothing, you know, the problem isn't the Da Vinci Code. The problem is that the people I'd be talking to don't know anything about the faith. So that's when it, it, it I guess, sort of around that time frame, which is around Thanksgiving of 2005, I, uh, I said, hmm, um, what we need is some sort of regular show that reinforces the faith to people. And that's what we started as, and uh, that's and we still do that, but now we do it with, um, based on all the evil and corruption and rot of various members in the hierarchy in the church, uh, it doesn't appear because of all the confusion and doubt and evil that those men sow, it doesn't it doesn't appear to be that just appropriate catechesis is enough. Because they're here, you know, the people that, if you're a good Catholic and you're trying to explain things to people— you have to first disavow them of things of incorrect information that's been many places, many times, has been drummed into their heads for the last 30, 40, 50 years. Right. And, you know, they don't think missing mass on Sundays is a mortal sin. They think contraception's okay. You know, gay marriage is, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's all right. And, you know, God loves and God understands and all this, like, putrid, pukey. It's not even, it's not even Catholicism. My goodness, it's not even Christianity. Um, so... Uh, you know, you have to sort of disavow people of all that and say, wait a minute, no, that's not true. And then, look, the appropriate question when uh, or the appropriate response when you say, nope, I'm sorry, that's wrong. The appropriate response is, well, wait a second, that's what I heard in Catholic school. That's what I heard from the bishop. Right. That's what I heard from my teachers. That's what my parents told me. I heard that in, in CCD class and on and on. So you have the appearance in many people's minds, when you're trying to tell people Catholic truth and you're schooled in it and you're steeped in it, you have the appearance of having no authority or no real knowledge or you come off as a nut job or something like that. And so you have to be able to sit down and explain to people, no, first of all, what you've been told is wrong. Don't ever tell the person they're wrong, uh, you know, if it's, if it's somebody of goodwill. They're only moving on the information that they were given. Now, maybe they have some moral responsibility to have gone and, you know, uh, cooperated with grace when they had a moment of like, well, that sounds weird or something. And they didn't. But what's important isn't to establish that they're wrong. Uh, what's important to establish is what they've been told is wrong. Here's why they were told this wrong information by authority figures that they would assume they could trust and then here's the truth. And that's how this has to sort of play out. Now, to do that, wow, well, I don't have to tell you guys. Right. You have to know an awful lot of not only what the church teaches, but also the history and the players and the circumstances and the motives and the agendas of all of that, how everything got so far off the tracks in the church. You have to be able to know that stuff because people are 
rightfully want to know the answers to that. And we're not just going to accept you at your word. You have to be able to demonstrate this happened. It was this bishop. It was that cardinal. It was this group here. It was this. It was that. It was that. And uh, that that requires a lot of uh, it just requires a lot of time and knowledge and learning. But, you know, look, if you love the truth, you'll you'll do that. Well, I was going to say, and that's exactly what you're doing on Church Militant. Now, I don't think it was on Church Militant, but I saw a video the other day, uh, and they were explaining Nancy Pelosi, because I've often wondered, does she really think, you know, abortion, killing babies is okay? And then it was explained that her family did not, as long as the person sharing this was accurate, uh, her family was not in favor of abortion. And she didn't turn that way until she went to a Catholic school run by, that we now know, probably nuns who were probably of the communist, you know, background. And it was there in the school that her worldview morphed into this you know, women's choice and reproductive rights and all that kind of thing. Does that pair up with your research on Nancy Pelosi, or do you know? I, I, I can certainly see that, that, you know, that could happen in general. And, you know, Nancy at the time would have just been some student sitting there in school. But what I can tell you in the Catholic world in particular, where today we have, you know, people who have through the, through the years and the decades Catholic politicians who have sort of moved up into the establishment leadership roles, guys like John Kerry, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Dick Durbin, that that crowd. Right. Um, almost every one of them, almost every one of them began as pro-life. And I don't mean when they were seven years old. I mean, in public life, uh, they began as pro-life. It turned it just so happened that they were of the age in you know approximately the 19 late 1960s early 1970s when the whole abortion question was beginning to stir uh, in the, on the state level New York California um, that they were uh, they were consulting various clergy and everything and were being told by bad clergy bad religious well, you know, you can be personally opposed, but and in a pluralistic society, you have to sometimes trade off intrinsic evils because that's just the way the world works and all that kind of stuff. Now, I, you got to put an asterisk there. If these people were asking in good faith, in goodwill, and were completely misled, that's one thing. If they were asking in a fashion in which they could try to form a political strategy to work their way around through this and sidestep it um, like the Kennedys did. And it's that secret, that secret meeting in Hyannisport. And I think it was 65, I think it was, I might have my year wrong, 65 or 66 that summer. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a whole different world. And I think from what I understand, I mean, look, Joe Biden used to be pro-life um, you know, the, all the Kennedys were pro-life, um, you know, so I don't know when Nancy Pelosi per se's thing hit, uh, but an awful large number of these senior democratic party establishment leaders who are Catholic all sort of became pro-abortion once they kind of got into the, uh, got into the, the, you know, on the, on the political scene and understood, hmm, you know, they, they just, they licked their fingers, stuck it up, 
you know, determined which way the wind was blowing and just sort of followed suit. Right, right. And I think some of the confusing things Pope uh, Francis has said, and, and I don't know which one it was, but, but this article or the video was talking about how she said, oh, he's starting to sound like the nuns. So she was referencing her college days. But anyway, pivoting forward, okay, we're dealing with this coronavirus, and it's hit Italy so hard. Uh, what, and James, you can chime in here too. What, what do you two make of this, you know, this sure. hotbed of coronavirus in Italy? What, what's the root of that? I feel that, and Michael, this also goes with what you've been presenting with the Vortex, and also listening to Dr. Taylor Marshall, uh, I know you have been on interviews with him, him and Tim Gordon. What I found was interesting, and you helped bring this out with Church Militant, was how the virus spawned in Wuhan. And you brought out, we're talking about, we're talking about um, the infiltration of the Catholic Church, but also the communism, the coronavirus and such. Wuhan is where they've had incredible church persecution. I've heard about churches being bulldozed, people being jailed. They've now replaced the crucifixes in the churches with the picture of their emperor. It's now a communist-run church. Then in Italy, something that I followed along as well, and Michael, I know you were over there with Church Militant, the Amazon Synod. The, the Amazon Synod, where they had the Pachamamas, they brought them into the Vatican Gardens, then they brought, I believe they brought a boat or something into the sanctuary of St. Peter's Basilica. And then they had those, Pach they had, I believe, three, four, or five Pachamama statues in one of the main parishes of Rome, which I know your friend, I forget his name, the, the heroic Alex young man. Alexander. 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 Uh, yeah. He went in there with a friend, scooped them up, put them on the bridge of the Tiber, and knocked them off into the river. So, Michael, I'm sure you know more about this, but I, I it just, it, it seems to be far too, it seems to be more than just conspiracy or conjecture. There's got to be something much deeper going on here. At least that's what I'm speculating. <clears throat> yeah, I think on a spiritual level, because everything's a spiritual level. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, so on a spiritual level, are we, what precisely are we dealing with? I mean, if you just put things up on the wall, you know, look, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a big uh, criminal Minds and uh, Law and Order and CSI guy. I always sure. love, love, love those shows. I When I was sure. in news, I, I hung around attorneys and cops all the time, just kind of part of the process if you're a reporter. And you go into their rooms, you go into their detective rooms, and they're trying to figure it out. And what do they do? They put all the, like, they put headshots or pictures of whoever's involved up on a big board. And they're not in any particular order necessarily. You know, you've got the victims and the suspects and these headshots all over the board. And people stand there, detectives and uh, you know, police and sergeants and the whole bit. And they sit there and they look at it and they try to they just try to kind of think, well, how are all these things connected? And I, I think there's something of that here as you try to look at sort of the spiritual board of this. I mean, certainly, look, there's natural levels of this. Um, and, and, you, you know, you can't I, I, the. I'd say all this with the caveat that you can't dismiss, and I think some Catholics out of a sort of a sense of being overly pious, try to tend to dismiss the natural order of things as though it's not important. The natural order is important. It's just that the supernatural is more important. Sure. So, uh, you know, you can't just dismiss the natural order. Uh, you know, we know this originated in Wuhan. 
So, you know, a dismissing of the natural order would say, well, God just threw the virus down from heaven. And this is the like divine chastisement and punishment and blah, blah, blah. And he's directing it and he's willing it and he's causing it to happen. Okay. You, you can't say that unless it unless it materialized out of nowhere. Well, it didn't materialize out of nowhere. It mm-hmm. was it's in Wuhan. Now, did our Lord in the in the divine providence, does he allow natural things to take their course? Because remember, the natural world is a fallen world. And because it's a fallen world, it is subject to the effects of sin in the moral order, the, you know, breakdown of the families, for example, uh, you know, the psychological wounds that come along with, you know, you know, bad experiences and things, all that, all of this in a fallen world, nothing really works right. It, it, it kind of works somewhat right sometimes, but there's not a real lot of consistency there, uh, in the natural order of things. So, you know, we're not supposed to get sick. <laughs> we're not supposed right. to die, but in the natural order, we are because the natural order is fallen. So God in his being outside of time, uh, uh, omnipotence understands how everything is going to proceed. So is he making it happen or is he allowing it to happen? It's the difference between the passive will of God and the active will of God. Mm. So he can certainly accomplish what he wants uh, by simply allowing the natural flow of events of the fallen world to keep building one on the other the way they would. I mean, that's precisely how he wound up being crucified. I mean, he didn't make Pilate order him to be crucified. He didn't make Judas betray him. He just knew that those personalities in those particular circumstances, when when the choice came to them, would choose a certain way. But he didn't make them make their choice. That would be the, the destruction of their free will. Uh, well, the same thing here. You've got what do you have? You've got a communist regime that denies God, brutalizes its people, uh, you know, marginalizes, you know, every human being down to yeah, everybody gets treated equally, but they all get treated equally like dirt, <laughs> except, of course, the <laughs> leaders. So, sure, you know, the, sure. matter of fact, I think dirt probably has a better shakeout in the end than actual humans. Um, so the uh, you know, uh, this is the wor- this is the natural order of things in a communist regime. They. Uh, you know, they want world domination. People don't. It, it, it just sickens me when I hear things like Democrats and liberals and progressives and whatever you want to call them, Marxists are all Marxists in my book um, saying, oh, well, you know, that's it. You know, things have changed. It's not like how it used to be. You know, they just want to operate and, you know, no, they'll they'll do whatever is the most expedient at a, at a given time. But their goal is world domination. All right. We will be right back. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. As we celebrate our four-year anniversary, thank you for making it all possible. Well, should it news deliver truth and inspire us to reach higher? With blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right, you're back on What If We've Been Wrong, and I appreciate you being tuned in because right now we're going to be talking about something that you might not have ever heard of, Our Lady of Fatima. 
But to tee this up, I want to introduce what scripture warns about. It warns that if a people does not want to hear prophecy, uh, if it does not repent or convert, it will not obtain mercy from God. And in the Bible, there's this uh, amazing story about Nineveh, where the, the city of Nineveh was totally evil. And, um, and, uh, but, but when the prophet Nehemiah came, they believed the prophet, not Nehemiah, Jonah. When Jonah came, they believed um, what he was telling them. He was telling them to repent. And the people did. And the people were saved. But, you know, sometimes I think about what's going on across the world. You know, so many people have turned their backs on God. And we think about America. You know, here we want to save thousands of people from the coronavirus, but yet every week thousands and thousands of babies die at the hands of abortionists. It's incongruous. It doesn't add up. You know, do we really expect the God of the Bible who, who uh, put his protective providential hand over this uh, the, the founding of this country, the United States of America, where we've made more progress in, what is it, 400 years than the world's made in, in four or 5,000 years. So, Michael, would you share with us about uh, 1917 and the miracle that happened at Fatima? And let's assume that people listening have no idea what you're talking about, because this is going to sound like a foreign language, but stay tuned in. This is going to blow your mind. Michael? Sure, I'm happy to do it. In, uh, in Beginning in May of 1917, uh, in a tiny little backwater, really, hovel, of Portugal, a small little village, I mean, that's not even called a village, tiny little place called Fatima, F-A-T-I-M-A, uh, Fatima. It was actually named after uh, the daughter of one of the Muslim, the town was actually named after the daughter of one of the Muslim conquerors uh, when Portugal used to be under the control of the Mohammedans uh, back in the, you know, seven, eight hundred years earlier. So, Anyway, in that little town, Fatima, uh, uh, after the country had gone back to being Catholic and the uh, Muslims had been driven out, uh, in 1917, in May of 1917, three little children, a 12-year-old, a, I believe, nine- and eight-year-old, two girls and a little boy, uh, received a series of visions culminating in a vision of uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the mother of God. And she came to them uh, on the 13th day of six consecutive months. And in each of those appearances, she told them of, uh, you know, the, the horrible, wretched state of mankind, that God was displeased, that war, because uh, this was just near the end of World War II, uh, sorry, World War I. Uh, and she, you know, said if men didn't change their ways, another more terrible war would proceed, uh, would follow. And uh, every one of these predictions that she made in Fatima to the children, uh, every one of them uh, has come true. One of those predictions was that Russia, now remember, this is 1917, uh, the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia 
hadn't even really begun yet. I mean, certainly there were movements in them, but, you know, this isn't like people picked up their cell phones and reported what was going on. I mean, this is, you know, horrible communication and everything else. And this is on the far opposite end of the European continent. You know, three little kids. I mean, how would they know what's going on with the Bolshevik revolution in Russia? Um, But she predicted uh, and she made the very, very scary, scary prophecy that Russia would spread her errors throughout the world. Now, that didn't really mean anything at the time. People are like, well, Russia, what do you mean? Russia's headed by the czar. What do, what do you mean the, the errors, et cetera, et cetera? Well, we don't have to look hard to, uh, we don't have to scour through the pages of history of the past hundred years to see, uh, you know, what, and what that all entailed. Now, as proof of this, because as news spread that these three little children were seeing the mother of heaven, the mother of God, the queen of heaven, um, news started spreading all over the place and, you know, newspapers and everything were picking it up. Well, they asked her for a sign uh, so that the people would believe. And she told them that on the 13th of October, 1917, she would perform a sign that everybody would be able to believe. And so because of that, you know, it's it's essentially, okay, let's go, let's go see the sign. Let's see the miracle. And about 70,000 people, this is all recorded, by the way, in the New York Times of all, (laughs) of all publications, (laughs) Uh, it's recorded in a number of, you know, periodicals and newspapers all over the world at the time, contemporary to the time, but even the New York times, I shouldn't say just the New York times, even the New York times, uh, recorded this. And, uh, so this massive pilgrimage, I guess you could call it, uh, began through various parts of Europe and throughout Portugal of people going to see the sign and they, uh, and she, she appeared outside, uh, uh, sort of hovering over a little tree bush kind of thing. And uh, so everything was outside. Everything was visible and, you know, out of doors. And, uh, and for the day and a half before the 13th, it had been just nothing but these torrential rainstorms, absolute just pouring down rainstorms. And yet through the midst of all of that, 70,000 people, most of them sort of peasantry or, you know, it's certainly not the wealth or the nobility of Europe, you know, struck, you know, trudging across these mud soaked roads that, you know, the, 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 remember, you're on paths and trails and horse carts here. This isn't highways. Mm-hmm. And uh, so 70,000 people had gathered there in this uh, little valley where the uh, visions were happening, uh, pouring rain, pouring rain. And then, you know, as clockwork, uh, the Blessed Mother appeared uh, and uh, when she gave that last uh, uh, prophecy and uh, warning and, you know, say, you know, the, the, all of this, then she performed what has become known as the miracle of the sun. She pointed up to the sky and directed the children's vision. And, of course, they directed everybody else's vision up to the sun. And the sun moved from its orbit and began spinning in the sky and spiraling and circling and coming towards the earth. And 70,000 people witnessed this. They were eyewitnesses of it as it came closer and was spinning around. All sorts of colors were flying around. People present uh, in their various in the various media accounts, everything else said they thought it was the end of the world. I mean, I can certainly, I, I right. think I'd be right there with them. Uh, you know, the, the sun leaves its orbit and starts essentially appearing as though it's hurtling towards the earth. 
and uh, you know people were screaming and running like crazy, running for their lives. Uh, and then, uh, uh, then the sun simply retreated and returned to its regular spot. Um, and when people uh, kind of like, oh, we're not going to die, and they sort of, and they kind of came to their senses and had gotten over their fear there in those next you know few minutes, they noticed that the ground was bone dry. All of their clothing was bone dry. It was like a beautiful, you know, like, almost like summer's day. Uh, there wasn't a cloud in the sky, nothing. Uh, many, many people who had come there because they had anticipated a miracle and nobody knew what the miracle was going to be, but they had anticipated this miracle. Uh, many people had brought their sick and, you know, lame and crippled and all of that stuff. And, and they were all healed. Uh, and, so, and again, this is all testified to in multiple accounts of secular media secular wow. media right uh so uh you know so what was what's the upshot of this it was a warning about communism at the time russia wasn't communist uh but the bolshevik revolution happened within essentially if you wanted to get very specific about it within minutes of what's going on over in russia uh in moscow and st petersburg on the far other end of the planet uh, of the continent the mother of god is warning Here's what's going to happen over there, and it will spread its errors all over the world. And that's what wins for the last hundred years, uh, Marxist communism, as warned by the mother of God, because that's what moms do, right? Don't moms constantly tell you, watch out, watch out. Some moms, <laughs> yep. some moms never stop telling you that. <laughs> yeah, right, right, watch right. Out. Doesn't matter how old you are, mom, I'm 45. I don't care. You're still my son. Uh, um, <laughs> that sounds like so, me. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you know, what, what, <laughs> what like I find, <laughs> what I find so astounding is that it was the secular media. This actually led a lot of atheists to believe in Jesus Christ. They came to the faith. Um, yeah. do, do you know of... I mean, if a sun dancing around in the sky and, yeah. and miracle, miraculous healings happening in like one foot of you don't bring you to a belief in God, well, I think you're pretty probably pretty hopeless at that point. Right, <laughs> right, right. Agreed. So, but, you know, Agreed. it still surprises me how so few, um, well, so few Catholics either know about Fatima or believe in the warnings but, oh, what, because what were what she gave uh, instructions on what we needed to do um whoever's well versed in those what four things i think it is yeah go yeah, ahead pray, pray the rosary every day do fast and penance uh pray for sins one that she said is so many souls uh, here's something uh, uh, many of your audience may not know of either during not during that october uh, visit, but on another another uh, day of the visions, uh, she showed the children hell. You know, of course, there mm. you know hell is a spiritual place, and and that, but you know, nonetheless, and I don't mean to demean it, meaning it's not real. Of course, it's real, uh, but on the spiritual level, she made it she made it visible to their earthly material senses of the suffering. Uh, and seeing human souls fall into hell, being damned and going into hell. And she said uh, uh, that one of the reasons so many souls are damned is because they have no one to pray for them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it's, yes. you know, yes. look, this is a this is a fallen world. And the fact that our Lord came into it doesn't make it no longer a fallen world. It is still a fallen world, but what it now has is access to grace. 
to as individuals in a community to be able to appeal to God to be lifted out of the fallen world. The fallen world will remain the fallen world. Nature will remain fallen until our Lord returns on the last day. Nothing is changing that. So this is why St. Peter warns us in uh, you know, his letters, you know, always be vigilant. You know, watch out for the devil who is like a roaring lion, you know, roaming about looking for prowling about looking for souls to devour. Uh, there, there is no the, the earth, fallen earth is the battlefield for every single person's eternal destiny. And every single person makes up his or her own mind where they end up. Uh, you want to go along with the flow. You want to do all the stuff. You know, look, well, corpses float down river. You've got to fight against the river of the natural fallen world. You've got to fight it, swim against it. You know, it's exhausting. It's all of that stuff. But God preserves you if you're fighting. Mm -hmm. If you're fighting, there is no end to the graces that our Lord will extend to you if you fight and all that sort of thing. Look, you know, God's love is unconditional, but salvation is not. Salvation is very conditional. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, the very fact that we have redemption, uh, that God has given us an opportunity as a race. He's given us a second chance. He didn't give the angels a second chance. The angels fell and that was it. He's given us. Now, that's because of their intellect compared to ours. And, you know, but different different theological lesson. But um, we have a second chance, but we have to cooperate with it. You know, if some guy gets sentenced to jail and the judge says, well, you know what? Normally, I'd throw you in jail for the rest of your life and, you know, pass the death sentence on you. But that's what you deserve. That would be justice. I'm going to grant you mercy in the fact that I will give you an opportunity to escape that justice, not sentence you to death, but you must do X, Y, Z, Z, B, B, C, D, blah, 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 and all of this stuff to, you know, express your gratitude, show your gratitude, understand that you're a changed man. All of these things, these things just make sense on the natural order and the natural human virtues of life. They make sense. So, but where do we get those natural? Those natural virtues come from the supernatural realm. That's why, you know, a four-year-old can recognize truth and wants to know truth. Daddy, why is the grass green? Why is the sky blue? Uh, you know, why did, you know, where do babies come from? It, th their minds are geared to the truth. Mm -hmm. And we're geared to the truth because even though we're fallen, we aren't these wretched, horrible, you know, monstrous, ugly, horrible things like, you know, uh, golems walking all over the earth. We are, <laughs> we're still made in the image and likeness of God, but that is uh, damaged and it needs to be, uh, sort of awakened from its sleep and realize that our destiny is eternal. That's what our spirits are for. Our spirit souls are for eternal, immortal life. Now, they're going to get it. <laughs> they're getting eternal, immortal life. It's either going to be in heaven or in hell. Uh, and you have to fight through the corruption of this world inside ourselves and outside of ourselves and be committed to living and loving God because this is what the will of God is. And a person either, you know, on the large agrees with that or doesn't agree with that. And if they agree with it, that still doesn't mean they don't struggle and fall and screw up and misinterpret. And you know, again, welcome to fall in human nature. Right. But are right. you, 
are you mm-hmm. trending the right way? Are you trending the way you need to be? And are you are you moving? Are you a lover of truth? Do you want to know the truth? If you do, then you know there's there's a great hope for salvation. If you don't want to know the truth, or you've invented your own truth, you know I can kill babies, and oh well, it's not really human, and you know oh well, same sex marriage is fine, and eh, well, you know that's that's their business. I mean, consenting adults, no problem. I mean, if you want to follow those things that destroy society, and even again in the natural order, they show themselves to be evil. So there's also a supernatural effect of those as well. And that supernatural effect unrepented from is called hell. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I would like I would like to. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, you actually reminded me of something. Um, I was reading last night a book by Sister Maria Agrita. She's now blessed. Mm-hmm. She actually her easy. You've heard of her. She's oh, a yes. great, great woman. And I, Michael, I wish her book was taught in every catholic school it is absolutely marvelous but the chapter i was reading it talks a lot about judas iscariot you know why he you know he didn't he didn't make the choice to uh betray jesus to the pharisees and to the sanhedrin in a vacuum you know it wasn't it wasn't like he popped out of the womb and said hey this is what i'm gonna do it was a steady progression of evil he kept falling and what i found interesting was in the book, well, the book, first of all, Sister Maria Agrita was given um, basically an interpretation of the life of the Blessed Mother. Mm-hmm. She, gave her, she told her spiritual director about it. Her spiritual director told her, no, you shouldn't be doing that. She tore it up. Mary, again, I don't know if Mary appeared to her, but Mary, again, dictated her personal biography to Sister Maria Agrita. And Sister Maria Agrita's new spiritual, spiritual director agreed said it was good and there's nothing in it that goes against the magisterium of the catholic church all of it is truth no, as a matter of fact if i remember but, correctly pope pius the 12th had her book on his bedside really pope pius the 10th or pius the 12th i can't remember which one i seem to uh, think it's pius the 12th i might be wrong on that though oh beautiful beautiful but but what i found interesting was that she and jesus both had they saw judas beginning to fall towards the road to perdition and mm-hmm. they tried anything and everything Yep. to turn him around everything everything that, she 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 was she showed him special favor prayed for him she would even chastise him at times too but what i found very you know judas of course he went the road of perdition unfortunately um but what i found very interesting that she said in there was that a lot of times the fall what is worse than the fall is when you don't get up right which is what i find which i mean michael that really hit me it's like yes all of us fall but it's so interesting because Adam and Eve, after they fell, what what happened? The problem is the human nature kept falling. <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It just you just reminded me of that out of that book. I mean, it's a br- absolutely wonderful book. But yeah, it's called for people who are looking for it. It's called the Mystical City of God. Yes. And uh, yes. there's an interest. There's I, I, the passage you're referring to about as you know, Judas was slipping away, so to speak, through his choices. Uh, yeah. Well, what were his choices? He was a thief. He kept yeah. stealing money, and the more he stole, the more he rationalized sin, and the more he rationalized sin and made up excuses for it, the more jealousy became, The more, just everything. You know, you pe- people are integrated. They're integrated for the good or they're integrated for the e- for the bad. It's mm-hmm. one or the other, but, you know, there's an, there's an, you're not, somebody isn't like this outstanding man, you know, with his family and, you know, and is, you know, a good moral upstanding man with his family, but then goes to work as the boss and is some, you know, tyrant who, you know, you know, doesn't deal in fairness or equity or justice with them, with his employees. I mean, this doesn't happen. It's not how we're built. 
whatever our general tendency is that we have formed and shaped, a person moves in that direction, whether that direction is good or evil, a person moves in that. So, you know, is it, is it any, you know, one of the funny things uh, around here in the studio, we say sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, you know, could you believe that, you know, Obama said this or Nancy Pelosi did that or Joe, Joe Biden, blah, blah, blah. And I always turn around and say, they kill babies. They, they kill babies. Bingo. So you're you're yeah. surprised they're trying to screw over That's the economic right. stimulus package or, you know, they voted for increased taxes or to take $200 million and give it for Obama phones or whatever. They kill babies. Well, what, what else do you, what, what else is staggering to you? Oh my gosh. You know, I know they kill babies, but my goodness, they took that little girl's ice cream cone. <laughs> <laughs> but let's come back to that, this topic of what do the men in this country really need to overcome the lies and the threats of radical feminism. We'll be right back. What if a new treatment backed by 17,000 scientific articles was proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance? What would you pay for even the smallest dose of this treatment? The good news is you don't have to pay anything because these are just some of the benefits of a full night of quality sleep. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Until now, most sleep aids haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's Healthy, C-E-L-L dot sleep. All right, you're back on What If We've Been Wrong, and we're going to pivot over and start talking about radical feminism and what this has done to men in America. And, and James, I'd like to start with you first, because you have a quite interesting background. You can share whatever piece of it you want to. Um, but w- in your mind, um, sure. the, with, the, you know, with the fall of man, and, but this radical feminism, how did it impact you as a young man and as a Catholic man? Um, what do you think even you can do to help other men stay on the, the straight and narrow path and, and, ha- and have a stronger will against what radical feminism tries to sell them? I know the way that it impacted me was I went I was in high school from 1997 to 2001. Then I went to Franciscan from 01 to 05 and then 2005 to 2010 for my master's. I remember in high school and this is how Franciscan ties into it. I remember in high school it was what feminism did to us was it it gave us a hypersexualized um upbringing. I knew people even when I was in Catholic, uh, what is it, Catholic as um, junior high school. People were it was very hypersexualized. Of course, the internet was not a huge thing then, like it is now, but there was definitely a lot of hooking up. Definitely a lot of people who had suffered abuse. There were even women. I remember my English teacher said he'd have young women who would come to him and and say to him, "Sir, I've I've had an abortion." And this was in high school. And a lot of people look at this, you know, they don't bat, bat an eye anymore, unfortunately. So really what feminism did is I, I feel that aside from 
hypersexualizing us. It emasculated us men. And I feel that it gave women, it gave us the idea that women were completely self-sufficient. They do not need us. They do not need our help. They do not need us to come through for them. All of the things that God designed man for, to protect, to provide, to come through. I'm a big fan of John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, and he talks about how Adam and Eve, I believe the term is Ezer Kenido, and what that means is it's translated, I believe, in Hebrew as helpmate. But what it really means is lifesaver. You're meant to come through for one another and really save one another, keep each other from evil. In the garden, what happened? Adam gave in to fear and doubt, and the entire race, Michael, as you well know, everything's just collapsed as a result. I feel that um, with what feminism did by giving women that self-sufficiency, by saying that we're not needed, I think every man, we feel we have an inborn desire. We have an inborn want to feel needed, to feel wanted. And it's not a weakness. It's how we're built as men. We're built to come through in a pinch. We're built to do this, built to do that. When you, especially when it comes from women, when you cast us aside, we're going to go to somewhere else to fill that void you know, to, 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 to fill that, to have that desire fulfilled and where have so many men gone? I know where I've gone in the past and it's, it's a struggle. Unfortunately, you never, you will always have in this life. Where do so many men go? We've gone to pornography and look at what it's done. And I can say as a man who's 37 years old, I see a lot of women out there wondering where all the real men are. And I almost feel like saying to them, you know, young lady, they're probably looking at porn. I hate to tell you, you know, because pornography has really just what it's done to men, how it's destroyed us, how it's really caused us to give in to our carnal appetites. Mm-hmm. So that's what I see really as just a huge issue we dealt with. And also, too, going back to, Michael, what we were just talking about with uh, when Our Lady talks about, you know, when you don't get up from the fall, that is worse than the original fall. Once you cross that line into, into uh, you know, the hookup culture, it is very, very hard to come back. In fact, was the very first thing Satan did in the garden. He showed Adam and Eve how they crossed that line, and he gave them no way to come back. That's the same thing he does to every single one of us. I mean, I could go on and on about this, but the text of Genesis is so relevant to young men and young women, from the fear and doubt to the falling and going down to the staying down. Now, for me, um, Terry, if you want me to answer a solution, I know the solution in my life. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I, I have my struggles like every man does, but I will tell you this, a huge solution to me has been the blessed mother. And I've not, I need more time to hash this out. But if you look at the sexual revolution, everything about it is a strike at the blessed mother. Abortion is anti-incarnational. You have the woman and child, Mary gives birth to Christ. What, hap- what happens with abortion? You have the woman and child, but the child doesn't make it out, out of the womb alive, and the mother is devastated. You know, what does the sexual revolution preach? It preaches that purity is, it, that purity is prudishness, that virginity is an embarrassing lack of experience. What does the Blessed Mother stand as? The height of purity, the height of virginity, really the height of the integrated gift of self, meaning you're not a sum of your parts. You are, you are who you are. You are a gift. So for me, a huge thing that's been healing for me really is Our Lady, also John Paul II's theology of the body, and realizing too as a man, you're a gift. I remember, and I'll finish by saying this, I don't want to dominate the, the segment, but I was talking to a young man at, uh, who works for Under Armour, 
you know, the uh, the sporting goods uh, outfit. And we were talking, we ended up talking about religion and something I told him, I said, I really think a lot of times I think what God asks us in the end is, did you get up one more time than when you fell? I mean, yes, unfortunately, we're going to go down. We're sinners. We're broken. We're wounded. But are you going to get back up? Are you going to get back up one more time and do better than? And it sounds so juvenile, but it's so true. Are you going to try better the next time? You know, if you fell into pornography, are you going to admit that? Are you going to get back up and say, oh, okay? Are you going to recognize why you fall into it? Isolation, abandonment, loneliness and despair. Are you going to do something to remedy that situation? So perfectly said. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, how about you? Can you share any part of your past and, and what you've well, I learned? Would just say, I mean, if I, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that, that, you know, how can I say it politely? Men today, males, just need to grow a pair. Oh, <laughs> true. I mean, that's it. You know, the, the male mind, the male mind is... Uh, is ordered around order around truth logic straight up yes or no this is this is on it's off it's up it's down it's black it's white it's whatever it's it's and that isn't to say that women's minds aren't ordered like that either uh my mother's mind was certainly ordered like that and many women i know many of the women who work here are very much like that so it's not a male only thing and i'm not saying that i'm saying that as you sort of uh, you know, trend out from either one of the sexes, uh, men, this is just something that the male mind responds to more quickly. It just is kind of natural to the male mind. Uh, it's a strength. There are weaknesses, obviously. You just outlined a number of them, James. Uh, and, you know, likewise, the female mind has strengths to it also. That doesn't mean men are devoid of those certain strengths or certain, you know, virtues, uh, but they are uh, you know, more particular, more common to the female mind. Um, the uh, look, the very word virtue, the the first syllable vir, v-i-r, is Latin for man, hmm. and there are these strengths that men have that they have been told. A, they shouldn't view them as strengths; they're actually weaknesses. They should never employ them. Um, you know, you're hostile, you're toxic, masculine, blah, blah, all that like ridiculous stuff. And, you know, sometimes guys are just like, you know, I just need to punch you in the face. And <laughs> that's it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're lying. You're being a wuss. Uh, you're deceiving people. You are obscuring the truth. And I'm just going to deck you. And uh, <laughs> that is a completely appropriate response. Many of your viewers may not know, but when St. Nicholas Santa Claus uh, was at the, uh, the uh, uh, oh my goodness, the Nicene Council in 325, there was this wussy little priest named Arius who was, you know, he was kind of like a golem and he was walking around, well, you know, Jesus isn't really divine. I mean, he's a good guy and, you know, he's probably Superman, but he's not God. And Nicholas couldn't take it. Nicholas knew Jesus was God. God, man, the council was hammering out the language, the theological language of how to express that. But they weren't arguing over the fact of whether Jesus was divine. Jesus himself says it in scripture. 
so they weren't hammering that out. But he was using this, this Arius guy. And St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, just couldn't take it anymore. He just walked across the floor, hauled off, and just belted Nicholas across, uh, <laughs> belted Arius across the face and sent him sprawling across the floor. That's a masculine response. That's a masculine response. Look, Jesus was the perfect man. He was the perfect man. Man, I'm not telling people to resort yeah. to violence. I'm saying that sure. sometimes th- that the 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 reactions to this uh, spring up; they well up from inside your masculinity. Um, and you know, nobody had more, no male had more perfect masculinity than Jesus Christ. And even he, even he, fashioned a cord out of whips and drove them out of the temple. Right. Because what they were doing was so egregious and such an affront to the truth. Well, and so my question is, how do we reach? See, I, I, again, they don't... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Michael. No, I was just going to say, men, men shouldn't have this. They shouldn't have this impression in their minds that, you know, to be outraged at the truth being violated and to feel, you know, I don't know, your testosterone levels or whatever increasing because you see because what is it when truth is overcome? or denied or buried. It's not, it's, it's never forever overcome, but when it's buried temporarily and shunted aside, then evil moves right in. Nature abhors a vacuum. And if truth is gone, evil and lies come in. I mean, there is no like, Oh, here we are just standing around in an, in a period of nothingness, no such thing. Uh, so you have to understand that the authentic Catholic man, the authentic Christian man, part an aspect, a dynamic of his baptism requires a degree of hate. You must hate lies. You must hate sin. You must hate the effect of sin, not the people. You're praying for them. You're trying to help them. But in the meantime, as long as a person, whoever it is, is working for the evil cause. They are bringing about evil. Doesn't matter if they're doing it. It's up to God to decide what their intentions are and what their motives are and all their psychology and their background and what went into it. That's all for God to decide. We can't judge that. But we sure as heck can judge whether what they're doing is is evil or not. And we must judge that. And we judge it, guys, based on the truth. Yes. You know, there's an there's an objective standard there. Guys build lots of things, right? Guys have rulers. They have tape measures. They don't say, you know, you're not building something and then you say, oh, I need a, uh, uh, let me see, I need to get a, uh, you know, 19 inches of this two by four. And then you just sort of guess where 19 inches are and you run the buzzsaw through it. <laughs> you pull out a, flip, a flipping tape measure and you yep. measure it. You put a pencil mark on it. And then when you're done cutting it, you, you, you know, run a plane across it if you need to. Why are you doing that? Because there is such a thing as an objective 19 inches. I don't get to decide what 19 inches is. You don't get to decide what 19 inches is. The tape measure is the objective standard, and that's what it gets measured against. Because the tape measure is the truth. I can just go, this looks like 18 inches, and go, and all of a sudden I've got 17 and a half inches. Well, I'm wrong. And this is the thing now in in the modern culture. Nobody can be wrong. Nobody, everybody gets a participation trophy. This is all just wussy, loser, you know, don't want to deal with the truth, you know, can't deal with reality, man up. And in fact, I think, uh, Michael and James, that the abortion industry will come to a grinding halt when more and more men get engaged with this issue. You know, I'm, I'm immersed in this, yes. you know, 24-7. Tw- 
uh, as I fulfill the promise I made to the father of America's industry of abortion. And uh, what I see is it's, you know, it's 10 to 1, women to men. And yet if, if men would, would yes. man up, would men up um, and, and help lead this, um, it, I just believe it's over when the men will step up and say, you know what, 50% of that's my baby. That's my child. I have the right to protect my own family. If you don't want this baby, fine, but I want this baby. And instead of letting these hateful, radical feminists call the shots, you know, as if it's their choice to, ha you know, have the baby and then make the man pay for the next 18 years or or kill the baby. It's totally in their control. So anyway, that's my tag on to what you said. At which because point the man pays for the rest of his life. <laughs> yes, very true. Very true, Michael. Absolutely. All right. So, so wrapping up, I know we've talked about a lot of different things, but I just counted a joy, Michael, to have you on the show, uh, to, to, to just almost banter about any kind of floating topic. I'd like to, can you give us any kind of a <laughs> short answer on when will we get the McCarrick report and where the heck is McCarrick? Uh, well, I, I have on extremely good sources that McCarrick is still within the continental United States. Okay. Uh, I, I don't want to say where because we're chasing some things down uh, as of today, and I don't want to let, let anybody have a bit of a tip-off, you know, people chat and that sure. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but sure. we have a very, very good uh, uh, source to say that he is somewhere within the contiguous uh, continental United States. Um, when the report will come down, and of course you're referring to the Vatican's investigation into McCarrick, uh, which is 600 whatever days now and counting, or 590 whatever it is. Um, so uh, I guess I would say there's probably a neck and neck race between when the report will be released by the Vatican on McCarrick's evil and the last day. Uh, either... <laughs> either our Lord's going to come back and, you know, the last day or the McCarrick report will get released. But I think those are going to be pretty darn close to each other. <laughs> oh, 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 boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing is, look, even if it gets released, you know, the people who are doing the investigation are the people who are implicated in it. So I don't think I don't think anybody has ever really I mean, that's like asking, you know, the the crime families of New York City to produce a book about themselves. Uh, really? <laughs> well, I thought um, I would at least ask. Yeah. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, we want church militant to pursue the truth and to sh keep shining light in all those dark places, because we know the church does hold the truth and it's just too much yuckety muck uh, uh, blocking the truth and the light. And, uh, and I appreciate you being on the show today, James, you as well. And, uh, and remember, uh, listening audience, make sure you tune in to talk radio. It's 24-7. And every day, Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. is What If We've Been Wrong, uh, where we shine light in dark places. All right, thanks for tuning in, and God bless. God bless.